What's up mortals, this is Awesome Myths and Monsters, here to learn you a thing or two. In this episode, I'll be talking about punishments being dished out by the gods of Greek mythology. Now, in Greek mythology, there are gods for just about every occasion. You have god of the sun, god of the seas, god of war, god of parties, what have you. But the one trait that most of them share is being the god of big jerks who like to overreact. This won't be a complete list by any means, partly because there are so many stories of gods punishing mortals, but also because I've done a bunch of episodes where the story centers around these kinds of interactions. I've done Sisyphus and Tantalus, when Athena turns Arachne into a spider for being good at weaving, Narcissus falling in love with himself, the whole animal planet love affair that led to the Minotaur, and Ixion being strapped to a flaming wheel forever because he had sex with a cloud that one time. I encourage you to check those episodes out as well, because they're absurd and crazy, and they're being told by such a handsome and talented storyteller. So, in no particular order, here we go. Aristichthon, which, I don't know if I'm saying that wrong, of Thessaly, was the king of Thessaly. He once ordered his men to cut down a grove of trees sacred to Demeter. There was a large oak tree in the center that they refused to cut down, since it was covered in wreaths and was a symbol of the prayers that Demeter had granted. Totally fair to be scared. When Demeter gets angry, the whole world starves. Fall and winter happen because she refuses to allow crops to grow, while her daughter Persephone spends half the year in the underworld. She is not a goddess you want to piss off. Aristichthon gives no bothers and takes an axe and chops down the tree himself. In the process, he also kills a dryad who lived in the tree. Demeter doesn't take this kindly, so she sought out Limos for help. Now, while Demeter is the goddess of harvest and bounty... Limos was her opposite, the goddess of starvation and tough spills. A little paper towel humor for you. Limos agrees to help, so she takes up residence inside the king's stomach. This leads to Arisichthon to be cursed with perpetual hunger. And it doesn't matter how much he eats, he can never be satisfied. The more he eats, the hungrier he gets. So he eats through all of the food in his kingdom, which is a feat in and of itself. Then he sells out more and more of his possessions... For food until he ends up poor. Then he sells his own daughter Mestra into slavery. Mestra was freed by Poseidon, her former rapist, because he felt bad for being a giant piece of shit. Poseidon gives her the ability to shapeshift at will, which, I mean, it, it's the best boon ever. Normally, when mortals are like, gods, help me, the gods take that as, quick, turn me into a plant forever. Now that she can shapeshift, Mestra returns to her father. And he takes advantage of her newfound powers and continues to just sell her off. And then she changes back into an animal and returns home and changes back into Mestra. It keeps going on and on. Story ends when the hunger just becomes too much to deal with. And Aristotle straight up eats himself. Now I'm going to talk about Marcius and Apollo. Marcius was a satyr, the half-man, half-goat of Greek mythology. One day he was wandering around and found an aulos, which is a double reed instrument, kind of like an oboe. Athena created it, but when she saw herself playing it in a mirror with her cheeks all puffed out, the goddess absolutely hated it. She then, she thought it was undignified to look so silly, so she cast it away and put a curse on it that whoever found it would die a horrible death. It's a bit of an overreaction to destroy someone because you puffed out your cheeks a little bit. Also, if she hated the instrument so much, she could just, like, break it instead of waiting for this destructive curse to fall some poor person. So, while Macias finds it, and he likes it, and he actually becomes quite good at playing it, puffy cheeks and all. Marcius gets so good at it that he decides to challenge Apollo to a music-off. 
Apollo is best known as the god of the sun. You know, he pulls the, the sun across the sky in his chariot. But he's also the god of prophecy, of healing, of archery, and, oh, of fucking music. So Marcius is challenging the god of music to a music battle, which is just super smart. Well, the gods don't like being challenged, so Apollo makes the conditions that the winner can do anything they want to the loser. The contest will be judged by muses and nymphs, so I don't know the first thing about a music battle. Marcius flutes his heart out, and Apollo strums on his lyre, and everybody goes crazy. After the first round, the story gets kind of murky on what happens next, because apparently their music battles have several rounds. Some say that Apollo demands that the second round be played with their instruments upside down, which is tricky for a lyre, but impossible for a reed instrument. Like, imagine trying to blow into the wrong side of a clarinet. It's not fair. It's not going to work. Another version of the story is that Marcius held the advantage while only instruments were involved, but then Apollo starts singing and he quickly turns the judges to his side. Marcius claimed that this was unfair since it didn't really portray the mastery of the instrument if Apollo was singing on top of it. Marcius playing the allos with his mouth obviously can't sing alongside. Apollo basically told him tough titties because as the god of music, he's allowed to make the rules for all music battles. And Apollo wins the contest. No shit. Now, as per the bet, Apollo can do anything he wants to Marcius. And the satyr's like, Psh, he's the god of poetry. What is he going to do? Write me a mean sonnet? And Apollo is like, no, I'm going to flay you alive. And then he nails his skin to a tree because that's reasonable punishment for losing at a fixed fluting contest. And the gods then took mercy on Marcius by turning him into a river, which apparently counts as taking mercy on him. I guess it beats being skinless. The next story also involves Apollo, and this time it's the princess Cassandra. Apollo fancied Cassandra and wanted a little rumble between the sheets with her. He approached her and offered her the power to see the future and in return, she would touch his wiener. Which seems like a fair trade-off. Like, seeing the future is worth a hand job. I would give Apollo a handy to see the future. So Apollo grants Cassandra the gift of prophecy, but once she gets it, she backs out of her end of the deal. Too bad she didn't use her newfound power to see what would happen next. Apollo can't just take back a divine gift, so he decides to add a curse on top of it. He cursed her that no one would believe what she said, which is just the perfect combo to go with the gift. So afterwards, everyone thinks Cassandra is just a crazy weirdo and no one believes anything she says. Even though she can literally see the future and is always right, it doesn't fucking matter. She can't do anything about it. So she's predicting the fall of Troy and the death of Agamemnon and, you know, the rise of Justin Bieber or whatever. And nothing happens because everybody just thinks she's crazy. Nobody can stop anything. It's like being a person in America that actually believes in science and watching as climate change deniers and anti-vaxxers and health insurance companies march us directly into a dystopian novel. Next up is Danaus, who sired 50 daughters, the Danaeides, across 10 different women. Dude's got strong swimmers and weakest pullout game in history. All of the women who gave birth to his children are named, but the only one I'm actually going to reference is Elephantus, because her fucking name is Elephantus, and she authored a sex manual, which is pretty cool. Danaus had a twin brother, Aegyptus, who sires 50 sons. Aegyptus decides that his 50 sons should marry his brother's 50 daughters because incest is wincest, and apparently he wants an army of inbred grandchildren with varying numbers of fingers and toes. Danaus decides to flee with his daughters, and so he builds a ship, 
It's the first ship ever. He literally, like, boats were invented to prevent cousins from banging. But Aegyptus is determined to have this happen. Like, the cousins need to bang. This guy must be the patron saint of Alabama. Danaus flees to the Isle of Argos to take refuge, but now that boats exist, Aegyptus just has one built and loads his sons up to chase after his brother and nieces. And when Aegyptus lands in Argos, in order to preserve the safety of the people, Danaus tells his daughters to agree to the marriages. But instead of committing carnal sins with their cousins, Danaus tells his daughters to just straight up murder them. 49 of the 50 daughters murder their husbands on their wedding night. Hypermnestra doesn't kill her husband because he respects her wish to remain a virgin, so, like, there's no real reason to kill him as long as he just keeps his dick away from her. Danaus is pissed that one of his daughters would dare do something like disobedience and tries to take her to court, apparently. But Aphrodite intervenes because there's no real point of taking her to court. Like, it's all stupid. She tells him he's stupid. Like, the whole situation is stupid. So she's like, you know, just fuck off and leave her alone. Danaus' brother flees to a Greek city and then eventually dies there. The 49 daughters who killed their husbands have their new grooms chosen by a foot race. Because that's a thing. The fastest gets the best one and so on. And so the slowest gets the worst one. I don't know how they ordered the brides. Like, do they do it by beauty, by age, by willingness to do butt stuff? Who knows? Either way, the gods intervene, decide to punish the 49 daughters for killing their husbands. The gods aren't exactly against incest, since, you know, Zeus is married to his sister, Hera. So the gods send the 49 daughters to Tartarus, the lowest reaches of the underworld, where they have to carry water to a bath. And once it's full, they can finally wash away their sins. The bath, however, is full of holes, so it can never actually get filled. So they have to, you know, futilely try to wash away their sins forever because they didn't want to have sex with their cousins. Next up, we have Lycurgus of Thrace, who was a king that tried to ban Dionysus from his kingdom. Which is just, he sounds like a huge buzzkill because, like, who doesn't want the guy, the god of wine and parties around every once in a while? So Lycurgus runs Dionysus and his followers out of his kingdom somehow because he could do that to a god, apparently. Dionysus, besides being the god of wine and parties and, you know, having a chill time, was also the god of madness. And so he infects Lycurgus with, like, a little madness. He's a little case of the crazies. Lycurgus, in his madness, he's his son and thinks that's a plant that needs to be cut down right fucking now. So he gets an axe and chops his son to pieces. Then, still thinking that he's seeing plants that desperately need a trim, he cuts off his own foot. The land of Thrace dries up, and Dionysus declares that it will remain barren as long as Lycurgus remains unpunished for his crimes. Because chopping up his own son in a reckless gardening frenzy doesn't count as sufficient punishment for not allowing parties. The people of Thrace, wanting food back, tie up their king and throw him to the man-eating horses that they have just hanging around. So everyone was very reasonable in this story. The next story is of Acteon and Artemis. Acteon was a Greek hero and hunter trained by the centaur Chiron, the mentor of heroes. Artemis is the goddess of the hunt and the twin sister of Apollo. Artemis prides herself on being a virginal goddess, and so when Acteon happens upon her bathing in the woods, she took a big fucking offense to it. Now, I can understand if he's like creepily climbing a tree to peep in a window, but when you're just naked in the middle of the woods, how can you blame someone for accidentally seeing you? Like, when I walk around Times Square without pants on, I'm not yelling at people for looking at my junk. The police are yelling at me to put it away. 
Mostly out of jealousy, I assume. So Artemis decides that because Acteon dared to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, that she would curse him forever. Artemis made it so that if he ever spoke again, he would be turned into a deer. Acteon heard his hunting dogs coming and called out to them, which, like, he broke the curse fucking immediately. Just as was promised, when he spoke, he turned into a deer, while his pack of well-trained hunting dogs that were looking for deer come and find him as a deer. And then they ate him because he was a deer. The final story that I'm going to tell is about Niobe, the daughter of Tantalus. Which, after your father was condemned to spend eternity in a pool that he couldn't drink from with a fruit tree, just like, always out of reach, like, you're going to starve and dehydrate for eternity, maybe you shouldn't go around fucking with the gods. The people of Thebes assembled for the annual celebration of the Titan Leto and her two children, Apollo and Artemis. Here they are again. It was at this celebration that Niobe decided to get real mouthy about the Titan. She, want, she went on a rant about how dare all these people worship those that they never see instead of the fantastic woman standing right before them. After all, her father was invited to dine with the gods, the event that would lead to his downfall, but, you know, forget that part. And her mother was a goddess. And also her husband Amphion was a son of Zeus, and he used to bone Hermes, which is also cool, I guess. It seems like all of her claims to fame have to do with her relationships to the gods, but for some reason she doesn't think the actual gods themselves are worthy of worship. Niobe then adds the cherry to her shitty idea Sunday by saying that since she has 14 children, and Leto only has two children, she must be seven times the mother the Titan is because quantity over quality when it comes to motherhood. Leto doesn't take this lying down. She sends down her children, who, I remind you, are the god and goddess Apollo and Artemis, to slay the children of Niobe. You know, Apollo kills the seven sons, and Artemis kills the seven daughters, because boys fight boys and girls fight girls, and that's just how it is. Then Leto is like, oh, what happened? I have two children, but you only have zero. So who is the best mother now? Because, you know, apparently if you can give birth to gods, then you're the better mother because you have a divine downstairs. That's how we should measure motherhood, divinity of the vagina. Amphion sees his dead children, and he kills himself. Niobe flees to Mount Sipolis, where she turns to stone, but continues to cry, even though she's stoned. And Mount Sipolis does actually have a rock formation named the Weeping Rock, since rainwater seeps through the limestone, and it looks like a woman's face that's crying. And it's been associated with Niobe since ancient times, so, like, you know... Proof. True story. That's it for the episode. These were just some of the totally reasonable punishments the gods fit to dish out upon the mortals. If you had godlike abilities to punish people, like what would you do to them? You think I would give people taste buds in their butts and turn their spiders and turn their jizz into spiders? Like, like and subscribe and whatnot. Tell a friend. Share the magic.